You are back with The Conversation. This is Catherine Cruz. Today we're talking about the overcrowded situation in our prisons and this COVID health crisis. Joining us by phone today, Justin Culler, the prosecuting attorney for the county of Kauai. He's been there since 2012. He signed a national initiative with more than 30 other prosecutors nationwide to begin releasing low-level offenders to reduce prison overcrowding during the COVID-19 pandemic. And Mitch Roth is the prosecuting attorney for the county of Hawaii, also since 2012. And prior to that, he was deputy prosecutor here in Honolulu. He, along with prosecutors from Maui and Honolulu, oppose a mass release of inmates. Welcome, gentlemen. Morning. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, we're, we're here talking about this because the Public Defender's Office has asked the high court to begin this process of releasing low-risk inmates and detainees in order to reduce our uh, inmate population. Um, and Mitch, maybe we should start with you. What's the snapshot on the Big Island? Well, you know, prior to COVID, um, we had at any one month, uh, our jail holds about 206 with a uh, operation capacity of 226. We had somewhere around 400 to I think 418 for the last couple of years, uh, inmates in the jail, together with about 150 people that worked at the jail. Um, when the COVID outbreak uh, came out, we started working with our uh, jails and our courts and our police department uh, to see what we could do to reduce the number but still keep our community safe and uh, protected from, from crimes. And so. Uh, one of the first things we started doing was we started looking at people who are on intermittent terms of incarceration, which means that they would come in, they may have like a three-month um, jail sentence, and they may be doing that on the weekend or a week on, a week off. And we figured that the more people coming in and out would put the, the jail at risk. And so we started by asking those to be suspended and put off until the end of the, uh, the emergency period. And you have managed to uh, bring your population down. Uh, so, yeah. So I think uh, as of yesterday, we were at 325. Okay. All right. And then, uh, uh, Justin, what about you? Uh, hi. Yeah, we started working on this problem uh, a few weeks ago when it became really apparent that we were going to have to address the situation in the jails. And uh, so our population... Um, back in February, was up about to 145 or so, and um, the really the operational capacity of the facility is 125. And as of last week, we were able to get the head count down to about 120 there. You know, I've been um, reaching out and collaborating with our public defenders here, and with our judiciary, and with our probation folks, just kind of reviewing uh, jail rosters and looking at you know, who are the folks who can be safely placed in the community on supervi uh, under supervision right now versus being inside? And the reason for that is not only to keep uh, them healthy, but also to protect the staff and the medical workers at the facilities who, um, you know, if there's an outbreak in, in the jails, the staff and the medical staff will be bringing that back to their families, and uh, that'll really be a flashpoint in the community. So it's something we've really been trying to to work on over here. So why did you de decide to uh, sign this petition? Well, we wanted to really highlight the importance of this issue. I mean, if you look at um, my island, our, our community over here, really the last 
place where we've got 100-plus people congregating uh, at any given time with not um, proper social distancing is at the Kauai Community Correctional Center. So, you know, this is an important issue, and uh, it was really important to me as a prosecutor or as somebody with a platform uh, to make sure I expressed that concern and got some action. Okay, and we did reach out to the public defender's office. Um, we talked to Lee Hayakawa this morning. He tells us how they categorized who would be released with the, uh, the idea that this would be, you know, public safety that's being considered as well. Kind of right off the bat in our talks with prosecuting agencies across the state, we were very mindful of this public safety aspect. And so, you know, we very willingly said, look, okay, no domestic violence, no sex offenses, and no sort of violent offenses, uh, whether it be a felony or misdemeanor. We were never asking for the violent individuals to get out. What we were looking at and, and really focusing on were the, were the low risk, low to perhaps moderate risk folks. And, and you know, those are, again, the people that were convicted of a petty misdemeanor or a misdemeanor or uh, of even felony probation. In terms of a felony probationer, for instance, this means that a judge in circuit court imposed probation. And when the court puts someone on probation, the court is thereby saying, you are fit to be in the community. That's what probation means. You're going to have to do these terms and conditions. You're going to have to do your work. But you're deemed appropriate for the, the community. However, as part of probation, I'm going to give you X amount of jail. So say, for instance, it's six months of jail. I'm not sure why it matters whether you do the six months now or you wait for this pandemic to pass and then you serve your six months then. We also talked to Honolulu Prosecutor Dwight Natamoto. He's against the mass release of inmates. Uh, he believes that some of, of the folks, uh, the 20, 226 inmates that were on the list uh, provided by the uh, public defender's office, uh, he believes they have violent, some have violent criminal histories and are a danger to the public. So if any release happens, he says it should be on a case-by-case basis. You know, the public defenders, they give us a list, they highlight a few, but the, basically the list is something that says they want all these people released. And included in that list are, are not highlighted, but on that list we see wanted free was people like Ulysses Kim, and uh, Troy Salas. Now, Ulysses Kim has been charged with uh, a burglary in the second degree and some drug charges, two you know combinations that are not good. When you take into uh, consideration his past, it's even worse. Ulysses S. Kim, who they tried to release, he already got convicted for a terroristic turning in the second degree. He's a threat to the public. You know, our concerns still remain the same. We don't want any in mass release. We want it case by case. And if they are released, we want screening to make sure the situation does not get worse in the public. We want to make sure that that person has a verified residence. In other words, that we know where he's going and that the person who he's going to live with is agreeable to it. And if uh, he must stay there for at least two weeks, we know that he is COVID-19 free. What about the situation with victims and victims' families? Yes, I mean, that's another thing. If the case does involve a victim, we need time to tell the victim that this guy is going to be free. I think what you have to understand, it's not limited to those 426 people. There's people outside of this list, which they have filed for, and these are very, very dangerous people. Wayman Kawa, they filed for him. Uh, they also filed for uh, Romero, Ernest Romero. These people charged with murder. So it's not limited to that list. They are filing for rapists, murderers, and others.
And, you know, to say that it's just that 426 is not correct. Nadamoto is also worried about domestic violence cases where pretrial detainees could be released back home. He's also concerned about the possibility of inmates being released in the community who may be COVID positive. Uh, Mitch, Justin, who wants to chime in here? So, so, so let me let me start off. You know, in the writ that the uh, public defenders filed on uh, March 23rd, um, Mr. Nadamoto is correct that they don't specify. Uh, the types of crimes. They don't say that, that uh, they're only looking at certain uh, offenses. They, they do talk about um, people who are on probation, and they, they filed their writ, and they um, also used an order from uh, New Jersey, which a- actually let go whole classes of, of people, anybody who was on uh, felony probation. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of things. We looked at that and said, there's no way. There's a lot of dangerous people that we need to protect our community against that are in our jails um, that fit into these categories. And so we objected uh, for a lot of the reasons that Mr. Natamoto said, but we also uh, realized that you know, there is a danger on our island. You know, we have, I think, 40 ventilators. So if you know, there was a breakout in the jail with, you know, 400 plus 150 people, that would cause a big problem. So we wanted to, to take a look at uh, people who were the least likely to be reoffending. We, uh, like Mr. Nanamo said, we want to make sure that we're not uh, putting people who are going to go out, reoffend, come back, and bring the virus into the jail. And, uh, you know, so we, we started at the lowest common denominator, the, the, the petty misdemeanors that were not domestic violence um, or misdemeanors that weren't domestic violence, more the traffic-related things, kind of what Justin has talked about earlier, and then those offenders that would be the least likely to reoffend or cause some of the problems. So um, when they say that they weren't asking for those things up in the beginning, that, that's really not true. Um, we are trying to, to work together with, with everybody to make sure that our island is safe and healthy, and I think Throughout the state, the prosecutors and the public defenders have been working really well together to, to bring down the numbers. And, and I think you see that when you look at the, uh, the end-of-month counts that the Department of Public Safety puts out. Right. We've had this gift of time to be able to, I guess, get our act together to figure out how do we do this in an orderly fashion. Uh, Justin, you want to chime in here? Yeah, I think Mitch is correct. And, you know, throughout this process... You know, we've been really fortunate to have, you know, good working relationships with the public defenders over here. And, you know, we don't have this, the same scale problem that they've got on Oahu where they're, you know, they have to review hundreds and hundreds of cases and look at um, making some really complicated decisions. You know, over here we're talking about maybe a couple of dozen people. And so it's a lot easier for us to kind of be a little bit more nimble about, you know, how we get people out and, and, you know, how we also protect the community while we're doing that. So, um, you know, that's really what it comes down to is, is everybody who's a part of the criminal justice system here putting aside the, the uh, adversarial part of it for a little bit and kind of focusing on how we can, you know, protect our community and just keep everyone as safe as possible. Okay, we have a call coming in from Oahu. Michelle from Kaneohe, you're on the yeah. air. Yeah, I think you guys 
possibly answered most of what my concern was. And thank you, Aloha, and thank you for all being on air, and everybody stay safe and well. But, yeah, my biggest concern was it seemed like the other night as I was listening to the news that there was a huge disparity between the uh, public defenders and the prosecutors, the prosecutors saying, well, you know, they're looking at letting out people who are uh, in pretrial detain detainment for, for things like murder and stuff like that. And then on the other side, it seemed like the defenders were saying, no, these are not the kind of people that we're planning on letting out. So I just, what I would really like to see is a firm foundation of fact being delivered to the general public by both the defense and the prosecution and neither side either minimizing or sensationalizing the situation. I'm a former victim of uh, a, a man who got drunk regularly, beat up his elderly mother, and finally one night took pot shots at our house when I, this was many years ago, and my blood pressure and anxiety level went up every time I heard that he was out again. So I can only imagine how other people must be feeling. And with that, I'll take it off the air, and thank you. Thank you so much. Um, if I just kind of answer to, to some of what Michelle is talking about, um, what, what Dwight said is that the public defenders continue to file COVID motions, and that is true, and defense continue to file motions that are outside of the list that um, we're looking at uh, on who we're releasing. So people have to understand that we've had several of those motions. Um, we've objected to many of those motions and there are some where we don't where we feel that there's there's not a safety issue but a lot needs to be looked into on safety issues uh, domestic violence crimes crimes of violence um, we're going to be objecting i think that's pretty much across the state that uh, if we believe that these people are going to be a, a danger to our victims we're going to object the public defender is going to continue um, because that's their job. I mean, their job is to fight for their clients, and they'll ask in sex assault cases, they'll ask in murder cases. Hopefully, those motions will not be granted. Um, w there's someone writing a story today just calling me about a person who was released um, on a COVID motion over our objection, was rearrested, and then given supervised release again over our objection. Um, so those things are going to ha happen as well. Um, the, just because Justin and, and you know, the, the prosecutors and I are looking at people who can be released, that doesn't mean we're agreeing to everybody that the public defender is, is putting in front of us. And it, you know, for those cases we're not agreeing, they're filing motions, and the judges are going to make their decisions. Um, we'll continue to object on cases we believe for the safety of our community, uh, they shouldn't get out. The public defender is going to do their job, and the defense attorneys are going to do their job and advocate uh, vigorously on behalf of their clients, and then a judge will make a decision. So we really need to be focused on what we're talking about on as far as what we're releasing as stipulations and what happens on you know, an everyday um, course in the courts. I mean, that happens before COVID, and it happened for years that um, defense has brought motions to release people on supervised release or, or other things and 
prosecutors object and courts overrule their objections or you know follow what the prosecutors say that that happens all the time and to get back to this idea of notification for the victims uh, I know I did ask Dwight Nadamoto about you know what's reasonable and you know he had said a couple of days um, you know so they can contact the victims just to prepare them yes yeah, so, so we in, in Hawaii County, we are also trying to, when we see victim-related cases, contact uh, our victims, um, get their input, um, and you know where, where our victims are afraid. That is a reason for us to object because we know victims know their safety better than we do. And Justin, do you, what do you think? Do you think that's a reasonable request? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, part of our job is to make sure that victims are informed as to what is happening with their cases. And, you know, certainly right now where we've got people who are, you know, people's nerves are on edge right now. People are cooped up at home. And the prospect of somebody being confined in their residence with their abuser is certainly a situation, you know, that we would do everything we can to, to avoid and, you know, we're grateful that, that the public defenders recognize that and are not asking for domestic violence offenders to be released. But, um, you know, and thank you, Michelle, for the call. And I'm very sorry for what you went through with your situation years ago. Um, you know, and that it really highlights the importance of us getting good and accurate information out to the public, which is, you know, a reason I'm so happy to be on the show today is because, you um, you know, people will see um, see things in the news and maybe not have time to kind of click past the headline. And, and there's this um, perception that there's about to be this, you know, mass release of, uh, you know, indiscriminate numbers of, you know, violent criminals into the flood the streets of Hawaii. And that's, that's really not the case. Um, Judge Dan Foley, who's the special master, that was appointed by the Hawaii Supreme Court to make some recommendations is a very smart and a very thoughtful um, jurist. Uh, I know he's going to make sound recommendations to the Supreme Court about you know how we address this situation and what kind of process we use and what kind of criteria we set up in terms of reducing the congestion at the jails. And um, you know, just want to reassure the the public that. This is not going to be a, a hasty um, or, or poorly conceived process. Uh, but we are in a race against time because if we start seeing cases in the jail, it's going to be a flashpoint. And I know that the staff there um, are doing their best, but the, the jails are not prepared to contain an outbreak. And so um, that's why we really have to work expeditiously here. You're listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Our guests uh, on the line today, Justin Kohler, Kauai's prosecuting attorney, and Mitch Roth, the prosecutor for Hawaii County. You know, uh, Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell voiced his opposition to any mass release of inmates at a press conference last week. He urged that police officers and first responders be part of that discussion. They need to be part of this discussion, along with the prosecutors from each of our counties. These folks... Our new police officers, our prosecutors, they're the ones who put the bad guys away. And if they're going to come back out, and if they don't have a place to go to, and they don't have a job to do, and they have no income, and many of our businesses are closed and shuttered, and many of our residents are in their homes, they're going to do what they know how to do, 
And that could be breaking an entry again, putting more burden on our police officers. Honolulu Police Chief Susan Ballard agreed with the mayor. She had this to say. The people out there in the community, you folks, we see it all the time, the anxiety, the fear, and everything else. We don't want to start releasing more criminals out on the road, and then the anxiety is going to increase. I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine that feeling, and I don't think that we want to put our community through that. Yeah, I mean, this is a stressful time. I think like uh, Michelle, our caller, uh, mentioned, you know, it's, we're already stressed, and then to, to worry about this, so... You know, she's concerned there isn't, you know, grandstanding, and, and she just wants to be reassured, I guess, that we're, we're doing this in a thoughtful way. Um, and I, I don't know. Justin, Mitch, what do you think? Uh, you Go ahead, know, Mitch. It, it's interesting. I, there's, there's two camps it, that are getting this message. There's the one camp that's saying that seems to, to get the message that it's going to be a mass release. And really, that was what the public defenders were asking for. They were asking to do something the way that New Jersey did, and, you know, most of us uh, objected to that. There's another camp that, that seems to think that, oh, we have all these guys that are in jail for minor offenses like marijuana, and you should be just letting those go. I, I can tell you this. For the last four or five years, I don't know of a single person uh, who's been locked up in our jails for a minor offense of marijuana. Um, so the the uh, approach that I think we're all trying to take is we're trying to do it in a thoughtful manner. If we're going to release people, let's make sure that they're the least violent, the least dangerous, the least likely to reoffend, and the least likely to be in a situation where they're going to get out and, uh, like, go into a homeless camp, come down with COVID, come back in our jails, and uh, reintroduce the virus into our jails. Um, I, I think what the, the path that we've been taking is we have been trying to take it very slow, take it you know, uh, with a lot of consideration on who we're looking at, the types of crimes that we're, we're talking about, uh, if there's victims related, and do all we can. You know, we were 200 people over our population um, max, and so I don't think that we will get down to 206. You know, we're, we're asking for help with the federal detention center. We ask for help with places like Kulani that may have a few extra spaces. Um, we're trying to do what we can to make sure that our community is safe and healthy. But Justin's right. If there is a um, virus that breaks out in our jail, everybody on my island will suffer because uh, with only 40 ventilators and limited uh, hospital uh, resources, we started this whole thing prior to COVID-19 uh, with a shortage of about 44% of our doctors on our island. Um, so we need to make sure that we're doing what we can to keep everybody safe and healthy letting people go and, and, and even stipulating to some of these guys who are not very uh, serious criminals or dangerous criminals, it's probably the hardest thing for me as a prosecutor to do. But at the end of the day, it really is about making sure that we're safe and we're saving lives. Justin? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's, um, it's really important right now for public officials to be careful about the statements that they make so that they do not cause needless um, hysteria in the public. 
So, you know, I don't think it's particularly helpful for people to go out and give press conferences where they, they start stoking fears about mass indiscriminate release of inmates, because I think that does not reassure people. What that does is it makes people more nervous and more worried uh, in a time when there's already a lot of very scary things happening. So, you know, my, <clears throat> my preference would be for you know, folks like us who are responsible for making these difficult decisions that, um, you know, if you want to know what's going on, come and talk to us um, before you take the microphone and start giving press conferences, because we can tell you what's going on and we can tell you about the safeguards we are using to make sure that this happens in a safe manner. Um, you know, it's the people in our jails, a lot of them who are in there, um, they're not in there strictly you know, purely because they're dangerous. They're in there, a lot of them, because they couldn't come up with bail money. I mean, we have DV offenders who are in the community because they could afford to post bail. We have murder suspects who are in the public because they had money to post bail. So we can't pretend that everybody in the jail is a quote-unquote bad guy who needs to be locked up for the protection of the community. You know, that's... Um, you know, it's just, it's irresponsible. Well, this is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion about prison overcrowding during this public health crisis with COVID-19. Uh, call us at one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Even when your days shift and change, some things don't. Like HPR keeping you informed with news you can trust and providing an oasis of music when you need it. So stick with your routine and stay connected at home. Listen to HPR on air, online, or on your smart speaker. Whether you're working in your street clothes or in your pajamas, HPR is here for you. Just ask your smart speaker to play Hawaii Public Radio. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Banco Investment Services, committed to helping families with plans for retirement and the future since 1991. Learn more at boh.com slash investments or 694-8500. at that news conference last week that we referred to, Honolulu uh, Mayor Kirk Caldwell made a statement that he thought prisons were a safe place to wait out the pandemic. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the prisons are not allowing any visitors. So the inmates are actually more isolated than probably most of us are. The prison guards who come in, if they're practicing good social distancing, if they're practicing hygiene, if their temperatures are being taken, they're they're wearing gloves in certain cases and don't come in contact with the prisoners, a prison could actually be the safest place. And Mitch, I know uh, we were talking earlier and uh, you had said you had actually uh, talked with, I think, believe the uh, ACLU and uh, made some suggestion about those rapid tests. That well, actually, was, uh, I was talking with uh, through, through emails with uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. We were... Um, we knew we were getting these Abbott five-minute tests. I think if we can get those into our jails, that you know, let people know within five minutes or 15 minutes if someone is, uh, you know, positive for the virus, that would be very helpful 
making sure that we don't allow you know, this virus into our jails. Um, the uh, lieutenant governor thought that was a good idea. I don't know how many of these uh, tests that we're getting. Um, hopefully we, we get enough that we can have one on every island to, to make sure that we don't have a breakout there. I know there's other places that need them, the healthcare professionals, um, but having them at the jails right now would be a really, I think, a really good thing. And Justin, do you want to uh, chime in there? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, a public health expert or an epidemiologist, but from the people I talk to who are experts in that area, you know, they will unanimously say that a jail is probably the worst place to ride out a pandemic uh, and not the best place to ride out a pandemic. Because even if the people in, who, who are incarcerated there are not going out into the community, the people who work there, um, you know, hundreds of people are going in and out of those facilities every day. And we know that in a congested environment like that, it is absolutely impossible for, for the staff to maintain the social distancing that would insulate them from any uh, risk. So, <clears throat> you know, to me, the, you know, that's, that's just a statement that is, is, you know, just flat out incorrect. Um, so, you know, we need to, um, we just need to make it a safe place for the staff and for the inmates. Now, I mentioned the ACLU earlier, and uh, I know they had uh, filed uh, something on Friday supporting the public defender's position to release uh, some of these incarcerated uh, people in our prisons. Uh, you know, we're hoping uh, that they uh, will give us a call. I know they've got a webinar uh, coming up, I think, at noon, just to talk about what they're doing uh, to make sure that, you know, people's rights aren't being trampled. Um, you know, we did reach out to prison advocate Kat Brady. Um, she is pleased with this appointment of Courtmaster Dan Foley, uh, who's a former judge. Uh, Brady says she's all for independence, transparency, and accountability guiding the decisions that she hopes that detainees or inmates who are medically fragile or pregnant will be released. Uh, she believes that most of those incarcerated are in for low-level felonies, and she says she continues to get complaints from inmates' families and staff about the overcrowded conditions. I'm terrified because our prisons are so badly overcrowded. There's no way that you could ever promote social distancing. And I've been getting calls from families, from staff, from friends of staff, friends of people inside, and they're saying the same thing. You know, the department saying, oh, we're staggering meals. There's, you know, only 30 at a time. And yet I'm hearing something completely different. 60 guys you know, eating together and no social distance. That's a problem. I'm glad we have an oversight commission because we need somebody to oversee the department because they've been saying things that haven't been true. No hand soap. There's no sanitizer, hardly any cleaning products. That seems to be across the system, I'm hearing, from staff and from people inside and their families. Their thing is all about security and law enforcement. We're in a public health crisis. This is not, gee, should we let this guy out? He actually stole a sandwich or something. It's like, no, come on, what are we doing? Now, you know, the Department of Public Safety declined our invitation to take part in this conversation and specifically addressing some of uh, Brady's concerns. It did send us a copy of its response plan and underscores that there are no confirmed cases of COVID-19 within the prison population, and it is waiting for guidance 
uh, from the courts. Uh, Mitch, you want to comment on anything you've heard here about uh, what Kat had to say? Well, I, I can just like the, the minor marijuana cases, I can't think of a single person in my 27 years has been incarcerated for stealing a sandwich. <laughs> uh, so that, that being said, uh, I've, I've had concerns from both the public and from, from others, a um, lot more concerns from people about people that we're going to release um, than, you know, than not releasing people. I haven't heard too many concerns about what they have or don't have in jail. I know that uh, working with our Department of Public Safety, they've been very helpful. I just saw an email uh, today from our public defender uh, thanking the Department of Cre uh, Public Safety and our jail, HCCC, for um, working with them. Um, and then they asked for uh, some help with one of the phones. So. I don't know if that's a Honolulu issue or if it's across the system. Well, I know the uh, stealing a sandwich, you know, that might be Oliver Twist times. Uh, but, uh, you know, it certainly is a concern uh, because you want to make sure that, you know, the inmates do have soap to wash their hands or uh, they're not all just, uh, you know, eating lunch together in a, in a small uh, confined room. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I very much appreciate where where Cat is coming from, and you know the the issue is now we've got past the guys who are in there for stealing sandwiches, and now we're looking at you know harder decisions of, about folks who are facing you know some more serious charges, and that's where that's where the analysis becomes a lot more you know difficult from our perspective. Is what do we do for somebody who's in there for you know a felony theft offense or a felony property damage offense. Um, so you know, it, that, that's where things become a little more challenging. And, you know, frankly, nobody has enough PPE. Nobody has enough hand sanitizer. Nobody has enough soap. And so we know that the jails don't have enough of those things either. Um, you know, I could go drive past KCCC right now, and I'll see, you know, you know, dozens of folks, you know, milling about or eating at picnic tables with one another. We know they can't maintain the distance in in the facilities the way they are set up right now. So, uh, you know, I appreciate where she's coming from, and she raises some valid concerns. I don't think it's quite as black and white as, as some folks make it out to be sometimes. But, you know, I know Mitch is being really conscientious about doing his job on the Big Island. I'm trying to be as conscientious as I can over here about doing my job and, uh yeah, it's a tough time. Yeah, and Lord knows it is really difficult working as an adult corrections uh, officer, you know, in our prison system. Uh, you know, we saw what happened on Maui with the overcrowding situation. Uh, you know, so certainly we don't want a repeat of that. We do have a call coming in uh, from um, Maui. Lloyd, you're on the you're on the air. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I uh, just wanted to thank everybody for their good thinking. And this should be added to the discussion big time, and that is anyone released, anyone released, whether it's early, on time, whatever, should be tested twice. We know that one test might not be enough. There's been errors with our national government. We need to have everybody tested twice before they're let out into the public. And we want a commitment from you guys right now, right now, that you will support major testing before anyone is released. 
Mitch? So one of the one of the things, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We've been uh, having meetings with the prosecutors and the public defenders, and now we have uh, the special master Foley, as well as corrections and uh, uh, some other people in the criminal justice system that have been meeting. And that's been one of the sticking points. I think uh, a lot of the prosecutors have been asking for um, testing. I think we're we're at a point where we're, I think we've come to agreement that there's going to be some kind of screening of people who are going out because we we want to make sure that um, even people going out aren't going aren't uh, likely to infect other people. Um, it, it's it's kind of interesting. In in one respect, we know that they're probably not infected coming out. Uh, more like you know, it's more likely people coming in, but that has been a discussion piece that we have been we have been having, and it's part of at least some of our uh, stipulations. If we're going to stipulate that they will be tested, that they're going to stay in a certain place, that they're going to have a home uh, where someone is going to keep them in, uh, they're going to follow the stay-at-home orders. Um, those are those are things that. Are definitely have been part of the conversation and part of what we're looking at as far as stipulation. Re, and I have to remind you also that there's cases that you know there may be stipulations, but there's going to be other cases where we're going to go fight because we're not we're we're not agreeing to um, releasing these people. And what the courts do, um, whether they require the the screenings and, and testing, uh, that's a whole other matter. You know, uh, the assistant public defender, Lee Hayakawa, raised concerns this morning about this overcrowding issue in the hygiene for inmates, uh, but also made the point that the virus can come in from people coming in out of prisons and jails. So you have prison staff going in and out of the prison. They go home to their families. They're in the community. You know, they might come in and, and bring the coronavirus into the facility. They go into the facility. They mix with inmates. They go back out into the community. And so that's a dangerous situation. But perhaps more dangerous than that is the fact that you have, you're constantly having people arrested. They're being detained. They're being taken to either the cell block at HPD or they're been, being taken to the minimum security facility here, which is OCCC. So then you have a whole bunch of new bodies coming into the prison, into the population, and mixing with everyone. Um, and again, it's overcrowded. It, it, it's sort of like the conditions are ripe for an outbreak. And so, Justin, do you think then we should also be testing the workers like every day when they come in, or what do you think? Well, it's it's not feasible. I mean, the testing capacity is not there, and I agree that that is a, a disastrous failure of our you know um, community response to this uh, epidemic, but. The, the testing capacity is certainly not there, and and also testing people coming out is not going to help anything if we're not testing the people who are going in. So yes, we need to build that capacity and make sure we're able to test people on a massive scale and get quick responses. But I mean, you know, we've got state senators in Hawaii that can't get their test results for weeks on end. You know, the the labs are backlogged, um, and the 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 supply chain has not been able to keep up with the demand. So, 
you know, testing is, is not going to be the answer here. What will be the answer is making sure that people adhere to the geographic restrictions that are placed on them if they're out on supervised release, that if they um, are an appropriate offender, that they have the ankle bracelet, which will send alerts uh, in real time if they violate their geographic restrictions, meaning if they leave their home, people need to be um, staying home, and that's including whether you're a pretrial inmate or a civilian or whoever you are, that is going to be the key to stopping the spread. And part of that means we're enforcing social distancing and separation. And right now, a major um, point in our community where that's not happening is in the jails and prisons. So that's our priority at the moment. So if I can just make a couple of comments, you know, Justin throws a really good point that one of the other things we're looking at is on... um, Ankle monitor, ankle bracelets, GPS monitoring, but the other point that uh, we're talking about is testing uh, versus screening. Um, at least on this island, on the Big Island, I know that our police are doing screening. When they go to the jails, they're doing screening. When they bring them to court, the courts are doing screening, and you know they're they're looking for those possibilities of somebody having it and then trying to, um, you know put them in some kind of isolation if they if they are um, so that there are there are those things that are happening that it's not quite a a test um, but they, there are precautions and things that are being done to prevent an outbreak we do have we had a shy caller on the line uh, who poses question you know what happens to prisoners who have been released early after this crisis settles down are they going to go back to prison Will they be on probation, or is it time served? Does anybody know? It will depend. (laughs) Um, Some of these people, um, the idea is there's a stipulation that they do come back to jail uh, after. um, Right now we're talking about the jails and not so much the prisons. Uh, A prison is a place where somebody gets sentenced to go for um, more than a year. A jail is someplace where uh, they go for less than a year. So some of our our uh, people are on probation, and their terms and conditions of probation may include a term that they have to spend a certain amount of time in jail. Some of those people will be released a little bit earlier to come back and finish their sentence. Some of those people may be finished with their sentence. There are some people that are pretrial where the court may agree, and we see this a lot, is they may agree to something called supervised release, in which they're being uh, supervised by intake services or, or someplace else. Uh, some of them will be released on their own recognizance, which means that there's really no one assigned to, to supervising them. If it's pretrial, it's a term and condition pretty much of bail. So they're released. They may not have to put up money bail. Um, they're given dates to come back. If they don't come back or if they violate the quarantine order, they can be brought back or they commit another crime, they can be brought back and you know, put back into jail. Yeah, Mitch is, Mitch is exactly right. And one thing people should be clear on is that sentenced felons who are serving open prison terms are not being considered for any type of modification or, or release. These are folks who have already been deemed by the court to be safe in the community. 
but um, have a jail term attached to their probation or are people who were not able to post bail pending trial. So, so people who are serving, you know, 5, 10, 20-year life sentences are not being considered for uh, early release or, or, you know, being placed into the community. So um, that, that's important for, for everyone to be aware of. Okay, we have a call coming in from the Big Island. Sue from Hilo. What's your question? I uh, have a comment. I think it's ironic and typical of our current um, political and um, uh, situation that we can hear for years about the crowding and overcrowding in our jails and the inequity of people who are put in jail at the taxpayer's expense for not being able to pay a fine or a bail. And we can hear, not in my backyard, for all of the plans for the um, construction of new jails, and yet now it's in all of our backyards. And all of a sudden, people are aware, oh my gosh, crowding, no sanitation, can't let these people go. This is pretty typical of the kinds of cross-thinking that goes on these days. Thank you very much, and stay Stay safe, yes. <laughs> Thank you for that. Any thoughts? You know, it, it's, I, I, I hear exactly what she's saying. I, for the last couple of years, I've been sharing the uh, end-of-month counts with, with anybody who would listen, showing that all right, we need to build more jails. Um, and a lot of people don't want to build more jails, but if you don't have a place to put people, um, then you, know, you have some serious offenders that are getting out in our community and, and um, also not making our community safe and healthy. Yeah, I mean, the caller is, is correct that, you know, this is an issue that Hawaii has needed to address for some time. And, you know, it's certainly an issue that's been on my radar screen, you know, for the entirety of my tenure as prosecutor. I know it's been on Mitch's radar screen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't make those decisions at a local level about, you know, whether to build new jails or when to build new jails. But, you know, the state does need at some point to generate the political will to address this problem. And whether that means, you know, constructing new facilities or uh, decommissioning, you know, old obsolete facilities and moving towards more modern uh, facilities, you know, that's something that absolutely needs to happen. And if this crisis can be, you know, a, 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 an inflection point for that discussion, then you know, that is one positive thing that, that happens because, um, you know, we do need to be having a constant community conversation about, you know, do we need to lock up so many people? Are we locking up the right people? And what are the conditions um, we are housing them under? You know, we're paying $50,000 a year of taxpayer money to house an inmate in a jail or a correctional center. And, you know, in terms of being good stewards of that money, that taxpayer money, you know, we need to be responsible about deciding who is going to be incarcerated. Well, we've you got. Know, there, there was a study that was done in 2018 that shows that Hawaii um, has, per capita, we pay the least for our corrections facility, and per capita, um, we have the least amount of money going to per uh, per prisoner. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree. We need we need to look at this, and maybe this is a wake up call for us. 
Well, we've got about a minute each of, uh, for each of you for final thoughts. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to thank you for highlighting, you know, this conversation. It's it's a really important issue, and, you know, to, to really understand, I think, what is at stake and what is happening, it's it's really important to dig past, you know, the headlines and dig past the, the social media chatter and really get into talking about the issue and um, just very grateful to you and everyone at HPR for continuing to keep the public informed during this very difficult time. I agree. I, I also want to thank everybody for listening, for you guys to bring this topic, because there's a lot of misinformation and, um, you know, people need to realize that there's a lot of thought that is going into this, and it's not that we're releasing people in mass. Um, we're, we, you know, the prosecutors are looking at things. I think this, the special master um, and our conversations with him have been really good that, you know, he appreciates how we're all working together and kind of a single goal to protect our state and protect the people of, of the state. Because at the end of the day, it really is about saving lives. And I think to end on that uh, hopeful note that you folks uh, have been talking with uh, Dan Foley and uh, there's a lot of trust in uh, you know his fairness and, and coming up with a plan for everybody involved. Uh, and, and yeah, Dan Foley's tremendous. I, yeah. you know, I, I clerked for him when he was a judge on the Intermediate Court of Appeals. I, I've seen how he approaches these issues. Uh, he's, he's very fair-minded. Okay. And, you know, Justin, I know you had shared earlier that I think you've got family that has tested positive uh, for the COVID-19 virus, and so our thoughts uh, uh, go out to them as well as we, as we deal with this. Uh, but thank, thank you so much, both of you, Hawaii County Prosecutor Mitch Roth and Kauai County Prosecutor Justin Kohler. And we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. Um, you know, what do you think about our conversation today? Please contact the Talkback Line and leave your comments. That number, 808-792-8217. You can also send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.